Broadcasting from the Hair Saloon corporate offices, it's the Suzanne Benker Show, where men and women are equal in value, but wildly different by nature. Join us here every week when we challenge the culture's hugely flawed narratives regarding men, women, sex, and love. But before we do that, I have a quick favor to ask. We podcasters love nothing more than to get reviews. It totally makes our day. So I would appreciate it very much if you would pause this podcast for a hot second and write a review on whatever platform you're currently using. And if you've already done so, please consider sharing the podcast with a friend or family member you think would enjoy it. Shoot them a text or an email with a link to a specific episode you enjoyed. Word of mouth is the primary way podcasts grow. I also want to remind you that if you're looking for marriage or relationship coaching, go to SuzanneBanker.com and click on the coaching button at the top. I received an email the other day from a podcast listener who asked whether or not I do consultations and I realized that I'm not doing a very good job of telling people where they can access that information. So again, that's SuzanneBenker.com and there's a coaching button at the top. Finally, if you love The Suzanne Banker Show and you would like to see it remain commercial-free, don't forget to become a Patreon subscriber. Just go to thesuzannebankershow.com and click on Become a Patron. And thank you, everyone, for your continued support. So as some of you know, I talked about having my husband Bill in studio, and we never got the opportunity, and it's finally here. So today we are going to answer questions from listeners and my assistant Kelsey is going to mediate and ask those questions. So you'll hear from the three of us coming up next. And we have Kelsey on the line right now via Skype. Hey, Kelsey. Hey. And we have Bill, of course, my husband. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to be here. Put on your (laughs) seatbelts. Okay, Kelsey, can you explain to everybody, because I'm going to sort of step back since I normally, you know, run the show here. I'm going to let you run it and tell people what we're doing and, um, and, and let you take over. So everyone is very interested to know about Suzanne and Bill's marriage. You know, Suzanne, you do a lot of writing about marriage, about feminism, about families, and a lot of people would love to know what it's like to be inside your marriage. And and so I've collected some questions from your listeners and readers. And these are some questions that they have about your marriage. So we can begin whenever you guys are ready. Okay. All right. Are you ready, William? Bring it on. Okay. Are you scared? (laughs) I'm ready to go. (laughs) No, we're good. We're open book. You know, there's, we're not too private around here. So it's happy hour after this anyway. So. (laughs) Let's do it. It is totally happy hour. Let's do it. It's totally happy. And what's interesting about happy hour is it seems to get earlier and earlier now. That's that's a side note. Yeah, coronavirus (laughs) has definitely done that. We cannot deny that. And it is 8 a.m. in the morning right now. 8 a.m.? It is not. What? No, it's not. Oh, my God. He's totally kidding. Oh, my gosh. the, The first question I have for you is how did you both meet? How did you meet? Oh my gosh, um, Bill! Can you tell that story no, in a quick, right. in a quick way? Yeah, I'll try. You can yell at me if he I get. He tends over, to be long-winded, so over-winded. everybody okay, get so, forewarned here. Uh, I had to go to. I went to a friend's brother's wedding, and uh, it was at a hotel here in St. Louis. And we closed it down, and it was after midnight. And we went to a place called the Tap Room, which was inside the Cheshire Inn in those days, and uh, went up to get beers for my friends. It was packed. The place was crazy. And we had just been there the weekend before. And in St. Louis, if you know anything about this silly town, going to whatever high school you went to is a big deal. So 
Um, I knew the bartender because he knew my buddies and they all went to the same high school. And I said, hey, I'm Bill and I you remember me from last week because I had just been there. He goes, yeah, yeah, I remember you. And I go, I'm the guy that went to DeSmet. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Suzanne was at the bar and looked up at me and said, you went to DeSmet? And then that started the whole conversation. And uh, you know, uh, it was really interesting about that, I think, uh, when I look back on that, is that because I think this is kind of different. He hadn't seen me. And I hadn't seen him. We hadn't laid eyes on each other when we actually first spoke because I was seated at the bar and he was behind me. So I just heard this gentleman say something about something that that interested me. And so I turned around to respond. But, you know, he could have been a dog for all I knew. I wasn't, you know, looking to, to pick him up or anything. And uh, he hadn't seen me at all. So it wasn't until I said that you know, what you just said that you went to Smet and he said, yeah. And then he walks around to the front and we start talking and just never moved for two After hours. After I got the beers with my buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, right. And let's make this clear. Going to the bar is not the place to pick up your future spouse. It was <laughs> yeah. something that just happened. It, yeah. It, and our, I think yeah. neither of us was I looking. I totally agree. Yeah. I, I wasn't looking either at that uh, point. I had pretty much given up. And, I was like, oh, there'll just be Uncle Bill. The heck with it. I was 33, I think, or 32, whatever it was. But yeah. And I had just moved back from the East Coast, and I didn't know anybody here. So it was awkward for me. And it just literally was a coincidence that we both ended up there. We were not bar frequenters, at least not for the purpose of picking people up. So it was just, anyway, we just laugh because I always tell people, don't, you're never going to find your spouse well, at a then, bar. And then I got your number. Yeah. And there's more stories around yeah. that, but we won't bore everyone with that. Yeah. But, but then um, I did everything opposite. Of what I would have done. So I didn't call her until Wednesday. And then we went out Friday to dinner and a movie and it just took off from there. And so is, there, is the significance of that for you? Because it's sort of like the opposite. Like, remember that Seinfeld episode? I'm going to do everything the opposite the way that I normally yeah, do it. And see it if it works out for me. Right. I had I had a low excitement quotient. I mean, even though you were cute, I thought, oh, you, had, I thought you had red hair. So yeah. I, I was like, oh, well, okay, we had consumed right. a little bit by then too. I mean, this to was it. one and two in the morning. You know, again, not the way place. to do it. No, it's not the, the way to do it. Anyway, so that's it. So Suzanne, <laughs> you know, it's funny because you do have a what a two drink minimum for your eight dating rules. So that's true. Um, so. Yeah, I, I yeah, but I'm 52 now, so I can't, you know you know, drink as much as I used to. That's there was a sure, lot more talking than I, drinking going on. Yeah. Night, really. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. So how long after you started dating, did you propose bill? Uh, let's see. When was it? It was six months in. Is that right? Yeah. It was November. I kind of knew that, uh, about three months in, I was like, Hmm. And and then six months in, right before that, I knew it. I think at three months, I started thinking about it. And that's not normal either. Cause I, I mean, there's no way. <laughs> well, I again, would... we were 30 and 33. So you, you're, you're a little faster on the, you know, than you were. Well, you, it was 10 you, years what, you can tolerate. You've learned so much from yeah, dating yeah, so many people. Yeah. I think that's kind of where I was. And I wasn't expecting this. And I was like, oh, this has just ruined my life. Because now I found this woman, this incredible woman who I wasn't looking for thinking I was going to be single forever and do whatever I wanted the rest of my life. And then that changed. <laughs> you so, wouldn't have wanted that. That's ridiculous. Well, I just wasn't expecting it. I wasn't looking and I wasn't expecting. Whereas before I was looking. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Tell me about your wedding. Where was your wedding? Was it a small wedding, a large wedding? I know, again, Suzanne has another little tidbit about not having a big expensive wedding. So I'm curious. 
Oh, yes, I have written about that. You're right. Well, <laughs> because I did it one of both ways. And a, a lot of people who have followed my work know that I was married once before for four years, no kids in my 20s. I was married at 23, divorced at 27, and then remarried at 30 for anyone who's doing the math. And then I had my two kids at 32 and 35. And um, the first time was just a regular big wedding scenario. And the second time was not. Uh, now, it wasn't small, small, but it was smallish. And um, it, people loved it. It was a, it was really, really nice. It was just not traditional. We didn't have a, a receiving line. We got rid of a lot of, you know, have to's and just did it in a it was, simple we had way. 75 people. It was close, very yeah. close friends yeah. and family. In a small, almost like a house. Anyway. So I just, I, I laugh because the, the research has shown that the larger and more expensive the wedding, um, actually the more chance of, of, of divorce, believe it or not. So that was an interesting piece of research that I'd written about. So, and since that happens to follow my life, I just wrote about that at one was point. It, but yeah. it, was it a party? It, it was a celebration. That's a good point. That, that's a good way of that's putting really it. That's really what yeah, it was. That is. So, Very good. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's get into the meat of this conversation, and I'm going to ask each of you the same question, but I'll ask Bill first. Okay. Okay. What, Bill? What is Suzanne's most annoying habit? Oh, <laughs> let's see. Joey, Joey, our producer, <laughs> is over here waiting on the edge of his seat to hear the answer. I would have to say uh, Suzanne is very quick, and to to a fault. And what I mean by that is uh, she'll go to the store. And she gets overwhelmed by the choices. So she sees butter and she just gets a thing of butter, not seeing that it's as unsalted or that it's plugra or whatever it is. She just gets butter and comes home. And you're like, that's not what I wanted. Now it's kind of a simple, like yogurt. I mean, you go to the store now, there's so many different kinds of yogurt. It's, it's crazy. So it's it's kind of like that. She just moves really fast. Even today when we came to do this, she forgot her computer. She forgot her notes. <laughs> And here we are. We're still doing it anyway. Life goes on. <laughs> yeah, so I need survive. to. I need to slow down. I mean, I'm always trying to slow down. Actually, I have a mantra in my head about that, but I, I definitely do move faster She's... than I should. And my mother used to give me trouble when she was alive about that all of the time. So it's, it's definitely. I mean, he's. You know, it's my, problematic. My it, nickname for her is Hummingbird. Mm. And if you ever watch the, there's a PBS <laughs> thing about hummingbirds and how they. They fly all over the place and they're just moving everywhere super fast. And they're just the minute the sun comes up, they're on the move. And then when the sun goes down there, they're out. And that's basically what Suzanne is. It's exactly who she is. So I call her my hummingbird when she's doing that. That way I don't get frustrated. (laughs) So let's go ahead, Suzanne, and you tell us what Bill's. Habit. What Bill's well, I have is. to say he has very. I have to, in in all honesty, he has very few bad habits. I mean, really, like off the charts. You're so being few. too nice. No, it's true. I mean, really. <laughs> um, but but if I had to pick one over the years that used to annoy me, and now I just sort of accept it. Well, I mean, I do accept it because it's not going to change. And that is that he doesn't finish something in the kitchen. Well, specifically the kitchen. I don't know if this counts for anything else, but in the kitchen, he'll do the whole, you know, dishes after dinner or whatever, but he takes it all the way up to filling the dishwasher, putting the soap in, but he doesn't start the machine ever. And he doesn't wipe down the countertops. So invariably, he doesn't finish the job. So I have to go back and make sure to remember to start the dishwasher or I'll come down in the morning and find the dishes unwashed, which then sets off this whole train of, 
you know, there's a domino effect if the dishes aren't clean in the morning because then you have to wash them and then you have the other dishes that you're doing. The so anyway, I used to get really frustrated and um, now I just know to go in every night and turn on the dishwasher and wipe down the counters and life goes on. But for a long time, I, I that was an example of like, why would you not finish it? Like, I don't get it. But in all honesty, in marriage, there are a lot of things like that. If you think about those things, they fester forever inside yeah. your mind. And then that gives you a reason to divorce somebody, which, which these these things are really innocuous. Yeah. And they're kind of silly because what ends up happening is you you can make up for each other's idiosyncrasies. Yes. Like yeah. somebody, I'll do that. You come along and you finish the job yeah. or yeah. you, you right. know. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Suzanne, would you say, you know, we, we wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, your partner's annoying habits. Some of them, you'll never change them. So it's probably better just to accept right. whatever faults you can live with, correct? Yes, I have written about that. You're right. And um, yeah, I do feel very strongly about that. I think there's a lot of people, in fact, the research shows that that long married couples have the same disagreements 40 years in than they did the first year in. And those studies were proving and showing that, therefore, hence, there's no point in spending all of these years um, arguing about something that's literally never going to change. Now, mm-hmm. there, I'm sure there are habits that are bigger than what we came up with. Those two things were, as he said, were pretty innocuous. We could uh, be spending all that time romancing yeah, instead of yeah, doing this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I'm talking about just the little things that, uh, that throughout the day to day life that get on your nerves, but are not, you yeah. know, deal breakers. Yes, um, I think that's one thing that we've we've always really had in check. It's not been an issue for us. I mean, we've had problems in our marriage, like anybody yeah. else. Don't right. get me wrong, but they don't really revolve around daily upkeep or parenting. I know, right. you know, you wanted to ask me about parent us, us. I mean, about parenting too. I think you said someone asked about that. Yeah. That's just not a, a difficult area for us when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, household chores, childcare, you know, all that stuff. It's, it's, it's just there's not no, been difficult. There's no, I, uh, we're not checking off. Oh, I no. did this today. Oh, what'd you no. do? I did this today. There's no, none of that going on. None of that going on. That's just silliness. No. Total silliness. Yeah. Okay. So then I'll follow the next question. Another question that we received was, what is your favorite thing about each other? So Bill and Suzanne, what are your favorite things about each other? I love the fact that Suzanne laughs at all the stupid things I say. (laughs) (laughs) Why is it? Tell people why that's so important. Because you you have said that a lot over the years, actually. Uh, And what is it about a woman? I think it's about this. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just you and me. But a woman laughing or really enjoying the sense of humor and that well it's not even that just that we do a lot of teasing and you know fun little innuendo things and you know that kind of stuff so it's very playful there's i think it keeps things light and i think it creates the right kind of um atmosphere i don't know i don't know how to describe it it diffuses a lot of things did you not have that with other Women that they no, were light. I did. Or, or, no, I was. I mean, why the, is that specifically about me? Uh, because you still laugh at the stu- stupid things that oh. I've been doing for the last twenty-two years. That's why. <laughs> There's That's a funny. lot of repeat in there. <laughs> That's funny. I would have to say probably the same thing I've always said about him, which is that you can take Bill anywhere. I mean, he's fits in in literally every scenario you can imagine. 
he's a definitely an everyman guy. I mean, he, the, the, the blue collar folks love him. In fact, he works with them. He works in chemicals. He's all about the, the um, everyman, right? Yeah. Um, and yet you could take him with the king and the queen and he could dine there and fit in beautifully because he just, that's just how he is. He's had a lot of different um, chances to be in different environments and he just became sort of a chameleon in that in that way and so i don't know why i like that so much but i do so here's another question who is the first to apologize after an argument i I would have to say bill Uh, yeah i think he's he's better at that than i am um, why? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good question. Actually, that's a good question as to why. What? Why? What would you, or your assessment of me be on that, Bill, um, or, or of the situation? I don't know. Uh, she's. I think she has a harder time with saying with apologizing, and I kind of accept that. Um, there are ways that she does it that are nonverbal sometimes. So she may cuddle up to me when she knows she's done something, and then she'll. She's gotten better about it. I'd say probably in the last five to 10 years in terms of saying, sorry, it doesn't come up that often. So really for either of us, I think yeah. it has more to do with when we're, you know, we might be tired, exhausted, yeah. Yeah. Uh, stressed out for whatever reason. Right. And, and yeah, we're very much aware of what's happening with each other. We see each other a lot, by the way, this is not a marriage where we're like ships in the night by any stretch of the imagination. We both technically work from home. I now have an office outside the home and I have for three years. And prior to that, I, I did not. And he's been home when we were first married. He wasn't working from home, but he did several years in switch gears. And um, we're home based, and we see each other a lot. And um, I, I'm very aware of when he's tired, and then the moment I pick up on that, if he didn't sleep well or whatever, I let it be. I like wait for the next day to come around. I don't bug him. I don't try to any have a conversation. It's just I read him really well, and I think. He does the same. And that that requires being around each other a lot. You know, if you're somebody who travels a lot or you don't see each other a lot, this would be harder to do. So we'll read each other and not get into those tiffs, get into as many tiffs that would require apologizing, I think is what you meant. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So just off the this is a question for me, actually. So I think it's kind of unusual that you both work from home. I don't think that's a typical scenario. <laughs> would you say? Well, it has been now with uh, coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Actually, yeah co- coronavirus aside. Everyone knows what it, we live like yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, gosh, I have so much to say about this subject. Um, I think yeah. it's more, I think it's more common today than it has ever been. There's no question about that. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. So I think it's more common than people realize. However, um, I, I don't recommend it. I mean, I've been very upfront about this. It doesn't bother Bill at all. Um, but I have said repeatedly and vociferously that I do not think it's good. I don't think it's a good situation. I think husbands and wives should be apart throughout the day and come together at the end of the day. I just think that's healthier. So I, there's no question that it has been problematic, but he will say that that's more so for me because it doesn't bother him at all. Now, some of that has to do with the fact that as a writer, what I need is utter and complete silence. I can't even have anybody in the vicinity. Whereas what he does doesn't require utter and complete silence. So I think the nature of what we do is significant here. Um, so that's why it was probably more of a problem for me. And ever since I got the um, 
office three years ago, it's totally changed everything, in my opinion. I would say that I totally agree with that, that that made a big difference. Because I know, as you know, you know, I've got a master's in English. Mm -hmm. I wrote poetry for many, many years. Mm -hmm. Still do occasionally. And the only way I can really do is if I'm feeling completely alone. Because that's how I could get lost in what's going on in my head. And it just makes it a lot easier. It goes faster that way. And then next thing you know, you're like, oh, it's three o'clock. I've been here since nine. Six hours later, I got 20 pages done. So for many years, I was trying to do what I was doing at home. Now, now, there were, it, it, it ebbed and flowed. I mean, he traveled sometimes for weeks at a time. So that was great when he was gone. But it wasn't often enough and regular enough. So eventually I did get the office and it's made a huge difference. So all of which is to say we, we do it and we've done it, but we don't, rec- or at least I don't recommend it. Right. I mean, my fiance and I work from home, you know, the nature of our work is that we both work from home. And I think that it is definitely hard to navigate that. So I just find it interesting that you had a similar situation for yeah, a and- number of years. And I think that that's a difficult thing to navigate. That's why I'm asking. It has been. There is no question. I mean, sometimes I do wonder how we made it through so many years of doing it. I honestly do. I think that you're, we're meant to say goodbye in the morning and come together in the afternoon. I want to miss him, you know, and I, until I went to an office, I didn't have enough, or when he was out of town, I definitely would miss him. But when he wasn't, I didn't. And I missed missing him. And I don't, so if she was there in the house, I don't sit still. I have to sit and I, I'm on the phone, I'm on the computer. And this is and then you go out two days people. out of the week. In three days, I'm traveling, but I'm not. I mean, I'm going to see somebody in the morning, somebody in the afternoon, and then that's it. And I'm back home again. So there's a lot of movement, which yeah, I right. understand why she would get frustrated by that. But and I can't. That's just nature of it. It's just what yeah. it is. I have to move around. I'm, that's who I am. Right. The only thing that kept it from being, you know, blowing up any worse is it was nobody's fault. Right. Nobody did anything. There was nothing to get mad about at, in terms of getting mad at the person. It was just the situation. And so it, for a long time, it was hard to make sure that we didn't have fights or anything based on that circumstance because it wasn't anybody's fault. It's just the and nature of the beast. We, the other thing is we discussed my having an office separate, but I felt like my job can start at 6.30 in the morning and can go into the evening if it has to at times. So it makes it's just a lot easier if everything's at the house. Yeah, for me, rather than right. having an office and I got to get in the car and go to the office, and I don't want to do that. It's just that that doesn't so make sense. I went, and that's that. It's all it's all good now. Bill, this one's for you specifically. What do you think when Suzanne gets internet haters? And I've seen some comments, and I know at at one point, you know, she you know she releases articles that I guess you could say trigger people occasionally. And what what do you think when she gets internet haters? How do you respond to that? So when we when she first started, I used to get pretty upset, you know, 20, 25 years ago when this all began. And because I'm like, what's wrong with these people? Don't they understand, you know, the importance of what she's saying? Because <laughs> you're not thing, biased they're not or reading anything. the thing. They need to read the thing, you know. <laughs> I'd get all upset about it. And now... Uh, I realize that they're just getting emotional. They're emotionally reacting without really understanding what she's saying, not leaving themselves open to the thoughts and the, the, the writings that she has and the, the facts that she has presented. So I just kind of ignore it. All I do is say, you know, these people don't really understand it. So, And then I, I will say it hasn't been an issue in the last few. Now, there was a time when it was bad. It went on for oh, yeah. when I wrote The War on Men and um, that went mm-hmm. viral and I went up when I wound up on The View and then I got this. I got a lot of hate mail from feminists. It was bad, and that was 2012, November of 2012. 
So here we are, eight years later, and I it's been several years since there's been any quote-unquote hate mail of any kind. So I feel like that sort of came and went. Um, and doesn't ha- it only happens periodically now, and he doesn't always know or see it. But back then he what? did. But now I just shield him. For, I don't even tell him sometimes. It's just not, I mean, what's the point? No, there is no point. So this next question is about your parenting style. Do you guys both have the same parenting style? Is one of you more strict or were you more strict when your kids were growing up? What what was that dynamic like? Kind of wish the kids were here to answer that. They might have more objectivity. I, I, seriously, I wonder what they would say. Although, I mean, they have talked about it over the years, so I kind of know what they would say. Um, I, I think philosophically we're on the same page, 100%. Yeah. And, you know, I think we both, we're both good disciplinarians. I would say that the difference is that Suzanne and I both had very different upbringings than what our kids had. Mm. I think it's a fair statement to say that. Um my parents were divorced uh, when I was 11. Uh, my dad moved out when I was nine. When I was seven, I knew something wasn't right. So my life was pretty much with my mom, um, you know, from 11 on. I saw my dad like once a month or twice a month for a weekend visit. But that's not parenting. So uh, my mom was very, uh, she led more by example. So I was able to get away with a lot of things. So I know what things kids can get away with. So I don't let them get away with it. <laughs> I'll put it that way. <laughs> I don't know. We just, it's just parenting has been probably our, just our least um, difficult. Um, marital, we don't, I mean, I, we just don't, I don't know of any real disagreements we've had right, no. over parenting. There've been some, little I mean, little things, I guess, not anything big. And I would yeah. say that we, we pretty much, uh, we discipline, but then we also want them to grow up to be their own people. So we don't hover over them. Yeah. And we're like in that way again. So I, there wasn't any correcting of each other. There was not a lot of correcting of each other. Now there, there's definitely as, as the, as they were getting older, there was a lot of, okay, you step in or I step in based on opposite sex because we have a boy and a girl. And, um, you know, as you know, I've written, in fact, very recently about how women moms need to step out and let the dads take over when the boy is about 11 or 12 years old. And this was something that I had to learn the hard way because I didn't have any brothers and my dad wasn't a manly man. He was more of a nerd, you know, uh, type. When it came to dealing with opposite sex stuff that I think is really important as a, as a, you know, dad of a, let's see how am I saying, a dad of a daughter and a mom of a son, then we'd step in and kind of do things differently based on that. But we agreed, um, and we're very yeah. straight shooters. I mean, yeah. we both um, we don't. There's no eggshells. Shelter in our house. them. No. Yeah, we, we don't shelter them in any way, shape, or form. We talk straight up with them. We've always been that way. Um, yeah, we believe in talking about everything. So they're we're pro- they're probably over talk. We probably over talk, and so um, uh, they know. That, yeah, they get quite the earful. They're they're ready to launch. They probably. Well, and, I mean, even when what Henry was uh, twelve, I think he played ice hockey. We went on a trip to Chicago to a tournament, <laughs> and he was in the shower and wanted to know what his privates were for. Like, what's this for, Dad? So I had explained to him, you know, men and women have different things and. 
You, you know, didn't this, say things. You just you told them. You used I the term. I'm using it being yeah. delicate on the radio here. Oh, but, you don't have to. I, but, We're not on the radio. You know, this is podcast. We can say whatever we want, darling. All right. He it's wanted to know what his he wanted to know what his testicles were for, and I had to explain to him what they were. <laughs> and I said, women have them too. They're just called ovaries on the inside of their bodies. <laughs> and I said, and I had to explain to him how it all went together. What a, tell him that one time when he's like, Dad, we were all in the car, right? And he's <laughs> yeah. like. It's hard. Yeah. What, what was he saying? He's like, Dad, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It's, it's all hard, Dad. And I said, Henry, don't touch it. It'll go oh, down. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think it was like four or five, maybe. I don't know. That was funny. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think he told him all about the birds and the bees and how it all happens very early, like 10 or 11 years yeah. old. So we, we're, we believe in early intervention with everything. And just straight up. I and mean, just don't... straight up. Yeah. Yeah, we don't sugarcoat. We don't walk on eggshells. We didn't use, you know, this is your wee wee and yeah. this is your wah wah. Yeah, we didn't no. do any of that stuff. <laughs> your what, Bill? What did you yeah. call it? Your wee wee and your wah wah. This is the penis and this is the vagina and you know that's yeah, that, what it is. That's what it is. This is your arm. Right. This is your elbow. Yeah, right. I don't nose. know if I've ever heard it called a wah wah before, but I'll go with. <laughs> I'll go with it. I'll go with it. Oh, <laughs> so okay. Speaking of sex. <laughs> how did you keep how did you keep the spontaneity in your relationship and, and your marriage when your kids were very young when you got married things were perfect you were both in love and life was good then somewhere along the line everything changed she changed or maybe he did either which way now your relationship feels well hard I coach husbands and wives who feel lonely, disrespected, or misunderstood in their relationship. So many women today are desperate for their husbands to step up to the plate, to make a decision and to stick to it, to lead rather than to follow. Ladies, you have the power to make it happen. Men respond best to women who are grounded in their feminine core. As for husbands, so many of them want their wives to stop nagging and to just trust them, to smile more and to complain less, to look at them the way they did when they were first dating. Men, you have the power to make it happen. Women respond best to men who are grounded in their masculine core. The secret to lasting love rests in the masculine-feminine dance. Once you master it, your relationship will no longer be difficult. You'll be moving with the biological tide rather than against it. And that makes marriage smooth sailing. If you're struggling in your relationship, if you feel frustrated or alone, I can help. Just go to SuzanneBanker.com, that's S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-V-E-N-K-E-R.com, and click on the coaching button at the top. Don't wait another minute to acquire the mindset you need to find love and to sustain it. It's so much easier than you think. That's SuzanneVenker.com. How did you keep the spontaneity in your relationship and, and your marriage when your kids were very young? The question is asked all wrong, Kelsey. There is no spontaneity whatsoever in one's sex life after the kids come. <laughs> at least not at this stage. Of the, at least after they pass maybe the first couple of years. Well, we were. When they, you know, when they're babies and they're asleep, they don't know what's going on. But once you get past that, spontaneity is just... a. It just flat out does not exist. It, am I wrong? No, I'm not. I think things were improving until the coronavirus came because then we had Emma home with us, whereas Henry would leave and go oh, to work. So yes. we would have time alone to have spontaneity, if you want to call it that. Yes, but let's let's but, tell people what stage we're in. Our kids are 17 and 20. Mm-hmm. So one's right. gone. And the other one is in school all day, and he has an after-school job, and he, and he gets himself around on his own. So yeah. all of a sudden, in the last year, for the first time in 20 years, we've had some hours in the house with ourselves only, which has not been the case for 20 years. So what he's referring to is we were just sort of getting that 
Um, until now. experiencing that to get a taste yeah. of that and then all of a sudden the coronavirus hit and we're like oh my god we are never <laughs> alone everyone's again. here now <laughs> all of oh which, my god yeah so just all of which is to say the spontaneity thing i mean forget about it it just you you, you have got to make time for each you have other to plan it. you have to plan it so it takes the spontaneity out but yeah. too bad yeah the bingo you have to work there you at go. it it's not you know it's just it's not like when you're when you're when you're just married and yep, you have no yep, kids no not, or when they're little and not at all it's gone it, it is and you just have to accept that and not freak out about it and just say okay we're gonna we're gonna improvise you for now to, for now be because creative. The, you have to be creative and yeah. then they'll leave eventually and you'll get it back again but there's so no early early in their marriage when I think we had Emma was little and I was flying back from somewhere and there was a Sky Mall magazine on the plane and I was like oh. And they had this massage table you could get. And I was like, all right, I'll buy this. And it was all, all wood, and it folded out. And it was all cushiony and had a little hole in the face. And I'm like, yeah, all right. So I got that, and I think I gave it to her for, what was that, Christmas uh-huh, or uh-huh. or your birthday uh-huh. or something. And she's like, oh, Bill, because she loves massages. So, you know, that helped with the spontaneity. <laughs> yeah, I got massages for about uh, a year or two. And that damn table is folded up in the corner yeah. of our bedroom and has been there for about yeah. 15 years. And it was cute because oh, when the kids, when after Henry was born, he was a toddler kind of running around, they'd both get on the thing and go, what is this for, Mom and Dad? What is it? And they'd play around with the head thing and put their head in the hole and laugh. And <laughs> Yeah, that was It was fun. pretty funny. Anyway, so. So yeah. I, I was going to ask you what your lives are like now that your kids are kind of on their own and almost out of the house or, you know, Emma's out of the house, your daughter's out of the house. But I feel like that's a bad question in light of what's going on. <laughs> yeah. It was, because now they're both like locked in the house with you. So I mean, this whole, we can't even go on a date. I no, mean, no. Yeah. Right. Can't do anything. No, we can't. Yeah. So now so. it's really, really different. So it's hard, to, hard to remember back seven weeks ago, but uh, at the same time, it's, as much as that can be annoying, what what I'm discovering is while Suzanne is over here at her office, when I'm at home working and they're both sleep, they're they're staying up until all hours and sleeping late, and then they get up and do their homework. I'm in my office doing my job, and then they get up and do their homework, and they're running around, and I go downstairs and have lunch, and I come back up, and I'm in my office. So then when dinner comes, we all come together again. Yeah, it's actually kind of nice because it's family time again, like when they were little, and since we haven't seen each other all day. We can talk about what's been going on. So that's that has been very pleasant. And yeah, very we're playing nice. that's cool. Playing more games than we and we've always yeah. been a game family. I mean, we play games, but now it's now you really have to have to because you can't go anywhere. And Emma's our daughter's not going out with her friends because there's nowhere to go. And but what we're very excited about being empty nesters, if that's the crux of your question, and um, we're looking forward to this next phase of our yeah. lives for sure. We got one year left with Henry. Yeah, and then and then he's off to college. So. Yeah. Yeah, that'll change some things. That'll yeah. begin. We can take some road trips, you know, day trips to different places, yeah. and go to wineries or whatever, and go to some parks. Yeah, I mean, so, not that we couldn't do that now, but it just feels different. The it's weight just, is different. The weight, you yeah, yeah. You know, it's off of you completely. You don't, you know, you don't think about what's what's at home needing you or whatever, or who's at home, not what's at home. So another question from one of your listeners is how do you divide or do you divide your household chores? I think for a long time it was, you know, I've written about this, that it just, I think the problem with the household chores, honestly, I believe that comes into play or has come into play when women started 
going to work full time in addition to having children. I think that's when the fights sort of began about what happens at home because invariably she's got a double load and the husband is not going to do it the way that she wants him to do it or he's not going to um, uh, take on as much as she is when she's home for, for various reasons. And Uh this gets to be a problem where you're like starting to play tit for tat. Well, since I was always home and have been since I was pregnant with my first, I've always, it was just a given that I was doing the bulk of the, the work on the home front and that he was outside making a living that I will say that that makes it very easy. I think it's easy to not have those fights or disagreements because that's part of the deal when you choose to have a setup like that, right? So I don't remember, I can't remember ever really playing tit for no, tat just, or like we, thinking like in terms of... We always shared chores. I mean, so, yeah. so I was brought up in a house where I had chores. And so when, when you do that, you do your own laundry, you're doing the dishes, you make dinner. Right. I learned how to do all those things. Plus I lived alone for, yeah, you know, that's true. Uh, from 18 to 32 or 33 yeah. or whatever it was when we got married. So... I was. I already was equipped. He was very self sufficient. I could I make him. meals. Yeah. I mean, uh, the first time I had her to my apartment for dinner, I made lamb chops. I grilled lamb chops. And um, your apartment was very clean, but I think and, I think and maybe it, you just set it up that way. No, it was clean. It was. It was clean. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so it, and then you know when when she wrote the first book, she Emma was yeah. still little. Yeah. So what would happen is um, she At would night. make the dinner. But then I would clean everything up, give Emma the bath, and then redo her and put her to bed, and she could write then. So we did so that, that went, went on, on for, for sev- six, six months. months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he was just he wow. t- now I was with her all day, and then he took over for that short period of time, and she had an early bedtime. Which, so, but it was still helpful. It was a great time. Yeah. I think that may have been when she like wanted to push. You. Remember how she yeah. would? <laughs> it was Saturday morning. <laughs> She would make pancakes, and I'd sit. Suzanne would make the pancakes, and I'd sit in the couch with Emma in her onesies, and we'd watch whatever show she wanted to watch. And when Suzanne came in the room, Emma would get all upset. This is before she could even talk. She'd, like, uh, uh. she'd put her hand out and look for, look away, like in a, for, for and me then, to go yeah, away, to go away. And then <laughs> at first Suzanne uh-huh. thought it was funny, and then she's like, "This just isn't right." <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, so funny. But she was into daddy at that point. Yeah, she was. That wasn't forever. No. It was fun though. But yeah, we just share we share the duties. I mean, yeah. you know, like if I see that laundry needs to be done and I'm at home and it's Monday and I'm doing conference calls, I'll throw the laundry in. Yeah. Because it takes nothing to get on the conference call for an hour, hour and a half, then come back downstairs, have a you know, have some almonds and then throw the laundry, you know, over into the next load. It Although take that, two seconds. So, but that's an advantage of working from home too. There's that. Like if you're somebody who's gone eight or ten hours a day, you're you're you know you're not going to have that uh, advantage. But yeah, yeah, it's just not that we just that just hasn't caused a lot of uh, problems for us. So, on a more serious note, who manages the money in your marriage? So the short answer is we both do. Yeah, uh, you know we both do. If you're asking who physically pays the bills and oversees yeah. it. It's, it's, it's bill. I oversee it, but we talk uh, about it all the time. We do. And we are on a budget and we, um, communicate regularly. And, um, I think, you know, that I've written extensively, well, maybe not extensively, but enough about, um, the, the, the fact that I, it bothers me that people talk about his money and her money. 
when they're married because there is no such thing. No. Uh, it is one pot of money. You are married, and that's the whole point. And there's no question that money is the number one source of conflict in marriages. And if you're not on the same page and you don't view it as a team, then that's where the problems, a lot of the problems arise. Right. Um, so we've, you know, neither one of us spends any kind of money of any major, obviously petty cash on a daily basis, but, you know, I would never buy Big something, you know, with, that costs anything significant yeah. without discussing it and vice versa. Right. Um, so right. it's just, it's just very much a, a team effort. No, and I know even in my parents' uh, marriage that my father controlled all the money. My mom had no clue what, what they had. So uh, I don't understand that. So <laughs> it, doesn't, yeah, it and, just doesn't and, compete with me because it yeah. doesn't make any sense. Um, we're in it together. You know, we, we, we have bills to pay. We have a household to run, and we're doing it together. So I, don't, I can't imagine it. it. It just creates too much tension, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. To sit there and, and make it into, like, this is my pile and that's your pile Ugh, and you handle yeah. your pile and I'll handle my pile. That just doesn't, it's craziness. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I know people do it. Separate checking accounts, that doesn't make any sense to me. Now, I suppose if you, well, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, you can do what you want, obviously, but, you know, as long as it's all joint, you know, everybody's names on everything and everybody can get their hands on anything, everything. If you have your own separate accounts just for convenience sake, as long as everybody knows what's going on um, right. and has access to it, you know, I, I, that's that's really my issue. It's not really the details of how you do it. We only have two more questions. And, okay. and one, again, I'm, I'm just adding a quick one about the money is between the two of you, what advice would you give to you know newly married couples that are starting their marriage, trying to get a handle on their finances? Do you have any advice on how to not make that a source of conflict? You would say it would just be making sure that you're both on the same page and making sure everything is joint. Or do you have anything else? Well, I think it's important to understand that what you're you know, what one person's bringing into the marriage, the other person's taking on. So if somebody has a debt, for example, that becomes family debt. That's, you, you you know, when you marry the person, you're taking on whatever they've brought to the table. So you yep. have to know that in advance. That's nothing, doesn't become something that's his or hers. It's you're married. now ours. You're married. You're married. You're married. So I guess there's that. You know, if you're getting married later in life and people have children by another marriage, I mean, you have to understand that you're taking that on. You cannot separate that out from this new life you're going to create, like it's going to be a clean slate. You know, again, it's one, it's one pot, it's one, it's a marriage. And so that gets complicated and you have to understand that you're taking that on in a situation like that. That's a very specific situation, but I, mean, I think you also have to learn to say no to each other. So what I mean by that is one of you really, what somebody wants a 65 inch screen TV and it's $2,000. <laughs> And the other one wants a giant couch that's $2,000. And you have to talk about that. And then you also have debt. So you're like, well, hmm, what do we do here? So I would say to, to young couples, you're in this forever. You're going to be married for as long as you're alive, till death do you part. So that's a lot of time. And there's a lot of change. And if you're patient, things will work out in the right direction, but you have to think long-term. It's like the stock market. You can't get freaked out when the stock market collapses for one year because in 10 years it could be three times what it was. So it's that kind of a philosophy that if you just 
definitely a lot. Yeah. Focus on on the money and what you're spending and how to control it. You'll be okay. The less debt you have, the better it is. I mean, that's all. I'll just say, the more you get rid of that debt, the simpler your life becomes, and you're more control of it. The finance part. When you say, when you agree? Yeah, no, I would. It's just um, I'm thinking about people listening to this and going, "Well, everybody's got debt when they're starting out, so I don't want them to think that." But you can't panic about it. I guess is what I'm trying well, to get at. Well, yeah, don't but think I don't you're ever. You're always going to be under it forever and ever and ever. Yeah, but I don't know that that's the underlying thing that causes problems for people when they're first married. I really don't. I mean, yes, you have the debt, but I think, um, I think it's, I think the conflicts, at least that I see, have to do with who's spending what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's very hard to get used to that when you're used to being on your own. That's why I say, you know, you really have to have a whole new system of understanding that it's it's now ours. And if you're open and communicating and you're not hiding anything, you're going to be okay. It's when you get into those, again, his and hers or hiding money or using it against the other person in some way. You know, if you make more than the other person and and you want to control it. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. really where the problems come in. Well, what we did, I mean, earlier in our marriage, too, we did a lot with hand-me-downs and... Yeah, we did. You know. Mm -hmm. A lot of secondhand stores. Yeah, secondhand stores. Yeah, that's the other thing. Your mother's friends passing away. Oh, we got some lamps or we got furniture and, you know, it was just... Well, I don't know what we got with furniture. Some of it was pretty good, though. uh, but, But definitely secondhand clothing stores. And I lived at Target for years when my kids were little. And what I didn't get into actual brand name clothing, I don't think, until no. they, they were older, much older. So stuff like that. You just make do, you know? Um, and, and I think that's hard for people who are used to having... I think that's a good thing about the coronavirus, actually. I think it's forced people to really live and make do with what they have. It's making them slow down, too. And, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you definitely have to make do with what's available, and you definitely have to take stock of your household and all of those things. So it's been, yes. it might have had some positive aspects definitely. to it. So right. I definitely think so. The final question, and I think it's a really great question. Here it is. If you had to pick just one thing that makes your marriage work, despite having problems like everyone else, what would it be for each of you? So I don't, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but I truly, truly believe that it is our view of marriage as being a team effort. It packages the way you think about marriage and then all of the things that go along with being married. You're always thinking about it in terms of what's best for the team. And I don't know, I, I just can't stress that enough. I just feel like I never think in terms of me and he never thinks in terms of him. It's always the four of us, you know, this unit. And you'd be surprised at how just that, that mental shift frames things in such a way that they, that you handle them differently. I think, I don't know. What do you, what do you think though? Well, I think to go back to when I first met Suzanne, the things that clicked for me, which is kind of funny because even my brother Paul said this to me when I was in high school, there's love is not everything. So um, you and I always say this, you can fall in love with just about anybody, but the question is, are they the right person for you? And that is a hard thing to understand for some people. And what it comes down to is it isn't always about the love. It's about what are, what's your life philosophy? How do you view money? How, where do you want to live? How do you want to raise your kids? Um, are you going to send them to public school or private school? Are you going to, Send them to a Christian school. Are you going to send them to a Jewish school? Are you going to all these things? 
add up. And if you have these things in place that are non-negotiables, that are breakables, because if you're not on the same page, they can really mm -hmm. mess you up. Yeah. If there's something that's very important to you. I think that there's some things that, you know, we weren't on completely the same page on things, but we grew towards that on some areas. So, and that's an individual thing, I think, within a relationship. But those things are just, you have got to consider those things. Because if you don't, it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah. The, the love is not going to get you through. Uh, all it doesn't solve everything. No, it's just, it's just not enough. It's not enough. I was, I was, I tried to describe it this way is all the things I just described are, are the, everything that's under the ground and the love is the part that grows and you have to work out all those things below the ground first between the two of you before the flowers and the grass starts to grow on top, which is where the love is. Yeah. That's my, that's my poet husband there. Kelsey. That was a great ending, actually. <laughs> really super inspiring. And I think your listeners are really going to enjoy this because usually it's Suzanne, you know, talking to an expert in whatever field or, you know, in whatever subject. And it's, it's this has been super refreshing. And I think the listeners will really enjoy this bird's eye view into your marriage. So oh, thank awesome. you. Well, I hope so. I'm, yeah, I'm, hopefully they had some fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was Thanks definitely. Thanks for doing this, Kelsey. Yeah. Thank you. Definitely different. You're for so me. welcome. <laughs> Okay, we'll talk soon. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. And that ends this hour of the Suzanne Benker Show. Don't forget to tune in next week when I speak with Stephen Baskerville, author of the book Taken Into Custody and expert on family law and displaced fathers. And don't forget to recommend this podcast to one friend you think would enjoy it and to leave us a review on whatever platform you're now using. Finally, if you have a question or a comment for me, you can email me at Suzanne at the Suzanne Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.